That music means your next hour is going to be about connection. Welcome to This Show Is All About You, a show dedicated to discussing and experiencing the things we all have in common. When you and me become we and explore what it means for all of us. Here's your host, historian, writer, social commentator, and a whole lot of other things, J.D.K. Winnikin. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, welcome, everybody, to another episode of This Show is All About You, a show where for the next hour we will uh, be having some conversations that get beyond the norm, uh, get under sort of the news uh, to a varying degree, and really connect around the things that we all have in common. So uh, first of all, thank you so much for listening. If you're listening live, thanks for doing so. If you're catching us as a podcast on uh, Spotify, Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, thank you so much for doing so and for subscribing and for leaving a review. I really appreciate it. You can also find me if you'd like to chat with me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just look up my last name, W-Y-N-E-K-E-N. You should find me rather easily. And you can also check out uh, my website, wordsbyjdk.com, where later this week I'll post a follow-up to this episode and recordings of every episode, so uh, you never have to miss a moment. Uh, I also want to make sure I thank at the outset uh, this show's sponsor, Airway Science for Kids. You can find out more about them at airside.org, and you'll hear more about them during the uh, during the breaks during the show. Uh, but I'm excited to be here uh, every week, but particularly this week I'm excited for what I, I know is going to be a really fascinating conversation. Uh, my guest is uh, Mark Frazier Sr. I want to make sure that that is clear. And I'll introduce you to him in just a minute. Uh, but as we always start the show with, let's uh, take a look at what's going on in the world in the section I call What in the World is Going On? And uh, once again, let's uh, go ahead and start with what's going on, the latest, what's going on in Russia and Ukraine. The, uh, the, the news continues to be bad from uh, Russia and Ukraine, particularly for the Russians, as their offensives in the east and in the south still struggle to gain traction. Uh, over the last week, Ukrainian forces have pushed the Russians back from the key city of Kharkiv along the Ukrainian-Russian border, so much so that it's possible that Ukrainian forces could actually cross the border into Russia and cut their key supply lines supplying the offensive in the south. Uh, that is something that uh, is remarkable just even on the face of it, that it's even possible. And second, uh, a really, really important uh, moment in the war is going to be playing out here over the next few weeks. The Russians, of course, are making a big deal out of the city of Mariupol along the coast being taken, but they had to level it to do it, and it took them months to accomplish it. So it's yet to be seen to what strategic advantage they get out of that. At the same time, uh, the Russians also, for the fourth time, targeted a chemical plant outside the port city of Odessa, uh, and they missed it for the fourth time. But uh, hitting that uh, and exploding the chemical tanks there would create essentially an environmental disaster in Odessa by uh, creating a toxic cloud of ammonia over the entire city. And that appears to be something they intend to do. Meanwhile, a $40 million aid package was passed by Congress over the past week to continue to send weapons to Ukraine, uh, which is vital for their prospects against Russia, alongside reports that continue to emerge that Vladimir Putin is deeply ill uh, and it's certainly hard to uh, hard to gauge the accuracy of that way or not. What it does mean is that the war continues to grind on to an uncertain conclusion, except for those people who are in the heart of it uh, being directly affected. And so uh, it, it raises the question as to when the breaking point will come one way or the other. And it doesn't seem that there's any end in sight for it. All right, let's take a look at the second big thing coming out of the world this week. This one's about COVID North in North Korea, Korea. has only recently acknowledged that it has any cases at all. Um, and we don't know if the numbers that they are uh, providing to the outside world are reliable. But it's hard to believe that COVID isn't rampant in North Korea. Um, they don't have the health infrastructure or the vaccines to cope with it. So the world can provide uh, humanitarian assistance. And the new president in South Korea, I believe, has already offered uh, to provide assistance, especially in the form of vaccines and uh, protective mm -hmm. medical equipment. That is Bonnie Glazer, an expert with the German Marshall Fund, talking about what's happen happening in North Korea, where a massive uh, COVID outbreak is underway that is making attention in the outside world, despite the best efforts by North Korea until recently, to disguise it. It seems to have begun back on April 25th 
at a massive military parade in Pyongyang where thousands of people from the highest ranking members of government all the way down to everyday rank and file North Koreans stood for hours uh, in uh, close quarters without masks and created a massive super spreader event that has spread throughout the whole country. Now, prior to just the last few days, the country has long denied that it's been hit at all by COVID. It's rejected vaccine offers from the United States, from China, um, everywhere else. That seems to be shifting, but it may be too little too late, at least for this outbreak. No one knows exactly how many people have been infected, but because of the country's poor infrastructure, its disconnect from the outside world, its lack of medical supplies, uh, and uh, lack of connection really with, uh, with what it needs from the outside world, uh, this could be a humanitarian da- disaster beyond anything we've seen, not just with COVID, but just in general. Uh, there's certainly going to be a lot of people sick in a country that it's estimated 40 percent of the people are malnourished. A massive outbreak of COVID is a death sentence for many of them. And so it remains to be seen how Kim Jong-un and his inner circle will respond to this. Uh, there's a chance that they might silently take some aid from China on this. But it's going to be very difficult because at this point, vaccines won't be all that helpful If the estimates by the World Health Organization and others are accurate, that almost 40 percent of the country may actually be actively infected. All right. So for some better news, let's take a look at listen to the third clip that has to do with one of my childhood heroes coming back to life this week. Leave us alone. When the time comes, he must be trained like you trained his father. You still want Kenobi. All right, I'm I'm sitting here grinning ear to ear because, of course, that is a part of the preview for the new Obi-Wan Kenobi series that will be premiering on Disney uh, Plus later this week. In fact, midnight on Thursday, it's it's going to going to drop. And so if you wake up on Friday, consider this as a, uh, a public service announcement. If you wake up Friday morning and there's no Internet in your house or anywhere in your town, it's because Nerdvana struck at midnight on Thursday because every Star Wars fan on the planet is going to be trying to download that episode at the exact same time. Uh, it's really fun because the uh, it takes place 10 years after episode three of the Skywalker saga uh, known as Revenge of the Sith. And uh, pretty much everybody who was a kid who grew up with those three films is excited because they're all of age now to see what happens next. And for those people like me who grew up with the original trilogy, it's just got more Obi-Wan Kenobi in it and more Darth Vader. And that's never a bad thing. So I'm sure the powers that be who run the Internet, wherever they are, on Friday morning will, uh, if the Internet does go down globally, and I'm joking, by the way, it won't, they'll be ready to you know, pl- unplug the router, the big global router, wait 10 seconds, plug it back in, and everything should be fine. But um, I'm really excited about it. All right, I'm also uh, maybe even more excited about my favorite good news story of the week. Uh, the new Top Gun movie comes out this coming weekend, right on the heels of Obi-Wan Kenobi. And... Uh, the, the big news of the week for me is that it's going to have the same opening credits music. You can hear it right behind now. The same opening credits music and the same opening scene on the aircraft carrier deck just with F-35s and F-18s this time rather than F-14s and A-6s. And I'm so excited to have the same beginning because as the director pointed out, we're all fans of Top Gun. We wanted to get everybody excited again. And uh, but then give them a new movie. Now, I I tend to be pretty skeptical of nostalgia. Generally speaking, I think nostalgia can sometimes be dangerous. But in this case, I am going to revel in it when I see the movie this weekend, because when I first saw that the 1986 original, uh, I was so fired up by it. And I've been fortunate in the last few years to have met some of the pilots who actually flew uh, for that movie, as well as the people who developed the uh, photographic technology to film all those aerial sequences. So I'm looking forward to a weekend of kind of going back to my childhood for a little way. All right. So anyway, I'm super excited about that. All right. It is time to get to uh, really the heart of today's episode. Uh, today, this show is all about Mark Frazier Sr., uh, who is uh, joining us via Zoom. And Mark, really good to see you. Thanks for being here. I'm glad to be here. Good to see you too, J.D. Yeah. All right. And uh, but Mark, I always like to start out the show with a guest talking a little bit about their hometown and and I know you had a few to choose from, but you chose Colorado Springs. And uh, so, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that as the show goes. But I looked into what's going on in Colorado Springs lately. And other than a freak snowstorm that's hit all of Colorado uh, yes. in May, other than that, the biggest news I could find is that Cheyenne Mountain Zoo, which you, I think, is in Colorado Springs, right? It is. It's kind of, yeah, it's right off the outskirts of it. Okay, yeah. Well, it's in the running for US, USA Today's Best Zoo in America. 
and uh, nominations have been, been taken for a while. In fact, the contest ends today. Uh, so far, according to USA Today, Cheyenne Mountain Zoo is polling in third place as the best in the country, and I'm not sure how they do polling for best zoo. Uh, <laughs> but they, they won fourth place last year, and they're up for best exhibit for their Rocky Mountain Wild exhibit. Have you been to Cheyenne Mountain uh, Zoo? Is it great? It is great. It was a long time ago, though, when I was a kid. Okay. But I remember it was really a great show. It had a lot of animals when I was young. Okay. It was the big talk for Cheyenne Mountain Zoo, so it is a good place to go. Okay. Did you have an animal that you beelined towards when you went to the zoo, as you remember? I, you know, it was like the elephants back then. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the elephants are a big one. For me, if I couldn't find the tiger or the lion uh, pen... <laughs> fast enough i got really bored with the zoo but uh, anyway right. anyway so it's 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 a good zoo essentially what you're saying it's a it's a good zoo that's all right true. all right it'll be interesting to find out what that's all right so uh so everybody that this is mark frazier uh who just retired after how many years of service uh 24 plus years 24 plus years of service in the multnomah county sheriff's department that is the county that surrounds portland oregon 24 years. He just retired on Friday, this past Friday, just a few days ago. Congratulations. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank have you, you. Uh, have you gone golfing or fishing yet? I have not gone golfing or fishing. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> I'm still recovering from an injury from work, unfortunately. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So yeah. what do you think is going to, are you going to have a big go-to retirement activity at some point? Have you decided on that yet? Oh, oh yeah. It's definitely going to be golf. Definitely going to be golf. Okay. It's definitely going to be golf, yes. All the more reason to get that injury taken care of, right? Exactly. Okay. Okay. Doing a lot of that. Okay. Well, today we are going to be talking, uh, you know, we're going to have a wide-ranging conversation, everybody, with with Mark today. Uh, But we are going to be talking about focusing on his service as a police officer because uh, Mark has got a very interesting life background, uh, but also in his experience as a black man who has experienced in his life Uh, profiling and has seen it um, in uh, police forces that he's worked in, but he's also a very proud public servant and was a proud police officer and believes in the police mission. Of course, the last handful of years in particular, but even a long ways uh, back before that, there has been always a lot of that tension. And of late, the last few years, uh, Mark, I'm sure you've seen it, uh, people tend to break into camps on this, either what some people call pro-police and others call anti-police, you have a life experience that doesn't really allow for either one of that, does does it? That's correct. That's that's for sure true. Okay. Okay. And so so we're going to be talking about his perspective and his experiences with that and his thoughts uh, today a- alongside wherever else we want to go. I thought it would be interesting and helpful for us to explore um, your experience, Mark, in the basis of everything that's been going on. And of course, with the the recent uh, shooting in a supermarket outside of Buffalo, or in the eastern section of Buffalo, New York. Uh, your thoughts on that, uh, both as a black man and as a now retired police officer. There's got to be a lot that goes through your mind when all of these types of things happen. And of course, we could, pro- we could say the same certainly about uh, George Floyd's murder and the trial and uh, all the aftermath of that. And of course, you were working for the sheriff's department when a lot of the protests and riots were going on in Portland uh, in the aftermath of that. So there's lots of places we can go, and I want to make sure, everybody, that I say right here at the outset that Mark is speaking for himself <laughs> for all yes, of this, yes. right? Right? I mean, I That's want to make correct. yeah, I won't be won't be speaking for any uh, any organization or for the Multnomah Sheriff's Department or anything like that. Just what he's seen and what he's experienced, uh, and he also has a very unique story of growing up, a German mother, a black GI father, which had to have produced its own dynamic for you growing up. Is that accurate to say? Yes, that is. It definitely brings the the contrast of, uh, you know, growing up being, I was only in Germany for about two or three years before, you know, being a military son, mm-hmm. uh, before we traveled to different different states. Uh, so back in the day, that was kind of taboo on far as not used to seeing a black man with a, uh, a German mom or yeah. a white mom in, in particular. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's actually been in the last, my experience as a historian, in the last 20 years or so, there have been more and more academic studies written from sociology point of view, history, anthropology, about that phenomenon, what that was like in Germany uh, for families. So, well, there's a lot. And you, you lived in Colorado Springs, but you also uh, grew up part of your life uh, in Manchester, California, right next to Watts uh, in the south central portion of the city. And so you had a lot of experience with police growing up as well and a lot of really strong opinions I would make up about that. 
Yes, it was, uh, like I said, I grew up in, in the streets of LA, so, you know, in the, in the rough areas. And so, I mean, we were raised, you know, to kind of stay away from police officers. And, uh, you know, we just never had any good experiences with police officers. You know, you just came off the Watts riots and mm. in that area. And so it was it was a little bit tough raising in that area. Yeah, I bet. And so I, I'm I'm very interested to hear, and I'm sure our, our, our listeners will be interested to hear, how you traversed a life course that brought you from that, that experience to becoming a police officer and, and staying one for 24 years. That's, that's amazing. So, um, and then also I want to make sure I mention at the front, at the front end, and we'll talk more about it on the back end, that you're also, uh, you're also heading up a nonprofit that I know is really important to you. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, me and my beautiful wife, Yolanda. Yolanda Frazier is my wife. We've been married for almost 25 years. Well, look at that. Um, we started a nonprofit. First, it was a name Chrome. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife started teaching uh, computer lessons to underprivileged kids, and then we took it into a basketball organization called Chrome Elite. And I've been coaching that uh, for the last 15 years of uh, you know kids all the way up from six years old to high school kids. And this is like a, a, like a club sport? club organization the au travel team club sport uh thing so pretty competitive mm-hmm. um you know kind of like classic soccer that kind of you know yeah, big, big. yeah. So. and that's and that's to help kids who really want to develop their basketball skills and maybe uh, take it to the next level of doing scholarships in college and obviously the big dreams the pros right but that's correct and and a little bit of my background which makes me so passionate about when i'm coaching kids that age include my kids is I played D1 ball at Weber State and I played pro ball overseas in, in, in Belgium and Brussels. Okay. And so until I got hurt and then I had to, you know, wow. go, go get a job. Wow. We say, yeah, we could probably do a whole episode on your basketball career then at some point. So, <laughs> right. So right. That, that'd be really fun. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll put a pin in that part and uh, talk okay. about that next time. So tell you what, Mark, let's go ahead and take our first break right now. When we come back, we'll kind of dig into Uh, the the meat of our conversation here. And so we'll be right back with Mark Frazier on this show is all about you. Stick around. Kids never have trouble dreaming about their future. The challenge is providing them the resources and opportunities to reach them. This is especially true from historically underserved communities. Fortunately, there's an organization that can help those dreams become reality. Airway Science for Kids helps underserved youth develop life and career pathways through exploration of aviation and aerospace. Using in-person and virtual programs, along with partnerships with companies, educational institutions, community health providers, and other resources, Airway Science for Kids helps students not only find their dream careers, but also learn how to better advocate for themselves and connect more effectively with their families, peers, and communities. To find out more, visit airsci.org. That's A-I-R-S-C-I.org. Or email info at airsci.org. Airway Science for Kids. Providing aerospace for all. Don't ask me to talk. Don't Ask Me to Talk is a program about sharing something good. Hosted by me, Stacey Heller, with my co-host and my mom's favorite, Eric Ryder, Don't Ask Me to Talk echoes what we're talking about when we aren't being so serious. We'll highlight what's good to watch, read, see, listen to, and more with a reoccurring spot with Vance Dingfelder of Dingfelder's Delicatessen called What Are We Eating? Tune in Thursdays from 3 to 4 on AM 880 KIXI. I'm Julia Cannell, Executive Director of Airway Science for Kids. We sponsor this show is all about you because it exemplifies our core values, connectivity, communication, emotional intelligence, positivity, respect, and the power of possibility. Help us introduce historically excluded youth to all of these through the wonder and promise of aviation and aerospace careers. Airway Science for Kids, providing aerospace to all. Visit airsci.org to learn more and to contribute your talents. Welcome back, everybody, to This Show is All About You. I'm your host, J.D.K. Whittakin, here with Mark Frazier, recently retired uh, longtime officer in the Multnomah Sheriff's Department down in Portland, Oregon. And uh, just did a little intro with him, and I'd just like to dive right into uh, this discussion, the key part of the discussion today, Mark, that you are you are a black man who has grown up and experienced racism and profiling uh, as, as just part of your overall experience. And alongside that, you were a proud police officer, 
really deeply believing in the police mission for 24 years. My guess is, is that those are really two very interesting realities to hold side by side for you throughout your life, but particularly in your career. I'm wondering when I, when I mention it that way, what comes up for you? How would you describe that dynamic that, that was it tension? Was it just a balance you had to find? What, how would you describe that experience of having to hold both? Well, I'd have to call it a balance because you know not everyone in the police force thinks negativity like that. It's a small percentage. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you run into it, you have to kind of educate those who are not, uh, you know, don't acknowledge or don't, are not familiar on how to deal with uh, a r- different race. Mm-hmm. That's the best I could say it. Um, as far as, like, because I, like I said, with the racial profiling, I've been pulled over for no reason because of my color Mm -hmm. and it's been obvious. So being on that side of it, you know, I don't get, I don't understand why somebody would do that, but I've seen officers who do. And, but like I said, that's a small percentage. Mm -hmm. So you got to balance and kind of educate those who are not educated in uh, getting along with other races and have stereotypes that they grew up. And so you have to kind of balance that and kind of be ready to educate those instead of get upset and make it a, a, a battle between the two. Mm. That must have, that was that a hard, was that a hard uh, series of conversations to stay calm in for you or for them to stay calm in when you did have to have them? Oh yes, it was, it was conflict. It, it wasn't an easy conversation sometimes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it didn't, it didn't end well, you know, as far as walking away from the conversation of the person, because it's hard for somebody to hear that who, you know, doesn't think they're doing that, but it's obvious they are. Right. Right. What would you say is, was your experience in terms of the results of those conversations? Did you find that many of them were fruitful in terms of helping your fellow officers make adjustments? Was there, was there not a whole lot of change? How, how did you experience that? I, I didn't feel like there was a lot of change. I just felt that they knew better to say something like that again, mm. or they would not act, you know, so they had to be there. I mean, as we got older, the more cameras came up, officers were held more accountable. So right. I think it made it a lot easier for them to understand what was wrong or, you know, what was right, what was wrong. Because if it was wrong, you would be in front of someone explaining why you did that. Okay. So I believe that has definitely raised the stakes on awareness of they may still believe like that, but there's consequences to acting on your beliefs. Yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, it brings to mind now that the fact that a lot of, if a lot of departments release video of those things, and we tend to see that after there have been incidences that have made the news, right. But that, but that evidence out there does suddenly then also add fuel to the public debate and then public pressure back on departments where this may be happening. Right. Yes. Yes. Right. And And then the video does help. It doesn't show the whole story, you know, Mm -hmm. of what happened to pre do the video sometimes or what was said or what's the person's actually, because that's a hard, hard thing that someone's actually, you only have a split second to react to some things. If you react wrong, you could be the one injured or, or not still around. Right. Right. So I think people don't understand it's that quick a thing. We don't understand when you're dealing with people who are not in their right mindset that at any time they could take it to another level. So you mm-hmm. have to be ready for that. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's, you know, majority of the times it's the right decision, but sometimes it's it doesn't turn out good. Right, right, and one way or the other, sometimes those are the ones that probably seem to get magnified, right? Where you yes, know, where a cop is is hurt or um, a suspect or somebody who's maybe been profiled is is wrongly treated. Those t- tend to be the ones that get the attention. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So, did you uh, over the course of your twenty four years, uh, you, you mentioned that you didn't see that a whole lot necessarily changed in individual behavior. Did you did you experience a lot of a change in awareness at higher levels in law enforcement in terms of training, in terms of the approach, in terms of how they the maybe the operational philosophy on how to handle uh, questions about race and profiling? Yeah, I'd have to say for sure. Yes, there have been a lot more training programs, a lot more talk about um, how to react and treat people of a different color or just people in general. And there's a and you know so I say yes the training programs have come the talk about it has come it's in our trainings mm-hmm. uh, so I, I'd say yes yeah well and that's that certainly sounds like a like a positive development uh, yes overall uh, you know were, were there areas that you would uh, you would continue to like to see improvement uh, personally or things that you think can be done further 
that other forces can do or that you would like to do at some point? Um, I, I think more education, like, I just don't think, um, I, that's a tough, tough question. It's cause it's kind of hard to root out those people who have those beliefs because those people don't change. Mm. One way you know, on either side. Is that what you mean? Either side, even with training, that doesn't change how they feel and they might still do that. They might be held accountable, but in their beliefs, they're still the same way, mm. unfortunately. Mm. And, you know, even if you said, uh, try to educate them on that, there's still a difference on how I would feel about an incident and how so a person of color feel about an incident compared to someone of non-color. So I put it that way, mm-hmm. how they feel. I might feel a little more like I can see how upset that person is and they can't see what, you know, how that person is like, they think that person was in the wrong. When you look at them, like, I don't think they were in the wrong. They were just going about their business and you mess with them and then things escalated. Right. So I think, you know, that understanding, I don't know how we get to that same level where we say that's something that shouldn't be done, period. Right. You know, and it shouldn't be you against them on this issue. No person should be treated like that. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that's where the difference is. My my looking in, they're like they can't see that. Mm-hmm. You know, as as a person, I can see that. So, right, if you understand what I'm saying on that, yeah, yeah, I do, I do. As as you know, I can't, I necessarily can't relate to. You know, you mentioned at the top of the show that you know you've been pulled over for obvious, obviously being black, right? And yeah. um, I certainly, of course, just by that, by the very nature that I'm not black, I don't have that experience in terms of being pulled over because of how I, how I look. Uh, and, and what comes to mind for me as I contemplate that is not just how it would feel in an instant, in a, in a moment like that, where I'm, it would be being getting pulled over mainly because somebody's taking a look at how I look, but also what does that do if I'm just going to get up and go somewhere? You know, I don't, I don't spend any time thinking about when I go somewhere that I might get pulled over by the police. Yes. I don't spend any time thinking about that. You know, um, I don't, I don't spend any time, you know, where I'm going to, when I'm going to the store, you know, like what happened in Buffalo, I'm not worried about going into the grocery store and having somebody come in and shoot at me cause I'm white. Yes. You know, that by itself, ha- I mean, that's a, that's a different emotional mindset and emotional set point. It seems to me that gets to the point of what you just said, that for somebody of color versus somebody who's white, there's a difficulty in communicating the reality of those perspectives. Would that be accurate from your point of view? That would be because I mean, when I have to raise my kids, you know, I have four kids, everybody Mm -hmm. knows when I have to talk to my kids, I have to tell them how to act in case they get pulled over, you know, for no reason. Mm -hmm. I make sure my kids are all, everything is, they have insurance. They have this, even with that, I have to tell them how to act once they get pulled over by someone, by a police officer who, they didn't do anything, mm-hmm. which has happened, has happened to me. So you have to tell them to prepare them so nothing goes bad, saying that they went for something, went for a weapon. I, you know, I tell my kids, you know, first of all, you know, do whatever they say, first of all, uh, and call me on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> and you said that's happened. So they have called you on the phone. They have called me on the phone. Oh, my. That must be a really interesting, um, it, to put it, it mildly, I'm, I'm using a very gentle euphemism. Interesting, uh, but also I would think very scary and very um, upsetting. Oh yes, for sure. I mean, they even have to go through that and worry about that as a you know a teenager just going to the store. Mm-hmm. You know, they understand the difference if they're doing something as far as speeding than just going to the store and all of a sudden getting pulled over for nothing. Right, right. You know, and, and I think they have to be careful how they act. You know, like somebody else would just be like, "Oh, here's my driver's license and registration." Sure. They kind of, they see the news. They have a different feeling. They have a different panic. Mm-hmm. They have a different, you know, they sweat and just what's going on. You know, is mm-hmm. this, this just a regular, am I just going to get pulled over and you did nothing wrong? Go ahead. So yeah. it's, it's, it's nerve wracking for, you know, anybody, especially like a teenager to have to go through that. Yeah. You know, I've, I've, I will admit to have been pulled over a few times in my life for speeding. i tend to have a little bit of a lead foot uh, and <laughs> none of those thoughts have ever crossed my mind. Yes. None of those have. I've been annoyed at myself. Right. I've been annoyed right. at an officer for getting, you know, for flagging me for going five miles over the speed limit, you know, yes. uh, but I've never had that. I've never had that fear uh, or, or those thoughts even come. And so, uh, yeah, that's interesting. And of course, from, I would think, you know, from a police training point of view, 
that, you know, uh, as a point of focus is something you would really want police to be trained on. And it sounds like you're saying that there's more and more of that training going on of recognizing the perspective of the people that you're pulling over for whatever reason, even if it's for a legitimate reason. That's correct. For sure. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, so it, it seems to me you must have really, it must be tough sometimes having conversations about this when you have somebody coming, talking to you strongly opinionated on one side or the other. Uh, is that something that you've just gotten used to? And have you just gotten used to being the person who pops the balloon, so to speak? Uh, unfortunately, yes. I mean, I have to, you know, educate them on their thoughts sometimes. And, you know, it's not saying that every shooting or everything that happens on a traffic stop is wrong, but when they automatically think that that person didn't do the right thing and he should have just listened, well, he, you know, I think, well, he shouldn't have been pulled over. Mm. Right. So that conversation comes like, well, this wouldn't have happened if this happened. Well, if they would have just as far, this is my opinion, mm-hmm. not covered from uh, the sheriff, they had just done their job. Like if he hadn't doing nothing, he should, why are you pulling him over kind of mm-hmm. thing? Mm-hmm. And then to step it up from there. So that's, you know, I have those educated conversations. I'm the, I'm the guy who will bring it up. I'm not the guy who sits quietly, you know, <laughs> you know, so you're known for that I, is what you're saying. I, I'm known for that, you uh, know, either way. You know, either I'm way, not the protector, but I'm also somebody who educates to look at the whole picture. Gotcha. And that's both ways, whether it's good or bad. And you say, hey, they shouldn't have done that. I'm like, well, the dude had a gun. OK, mm-hmm. so it's not just one sided. Right. It's both sides on the law and and also on the profiling. So it's it's both protection on both sides on just look at everything before you just automatically assume that person is is bad or that person is good right right whether we're talking about the officer involved or the person on you know the officer is confronting correct right correct man i I can only imagine that must be you you ever get tired of having those conversations i get tired of the conversations when you speak of what happened with the george floyd and the riots downtown i was in the heart of that yeah you know i was i was going to lunch as a black officer you know getting screamed and yelled at and, you know, with people with Black Lives Matter signs, you know, Black, you know, I'm Black. Mm-hmm. And and just because I have the uniform on, they're screaming at me. And I'm like, hold a second. In some cases, I was still, the people that were screaming, I was still the only Black person in that whole crowd. Right. I'm trying to get the concept of, you know, I'm an officer, but I'm Black. This mm-hmm. is, you know, so it's kind of hard to get the contest of some of the, and, and it wasn't, you know, the Black Lives Matter people weren't yelling at me. It was people, you know, you know, I got all kind of different kind of protesters who sure. who try to represent something and, and aren't really there for that matter. So it's just tough going out there, you know, and you're, you're getting stuff thrown at you and you're like, oh, you, it's, I'm the person you're supposed to be upset about. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> was it hard to not take that personally? It was hard to not take that personal. Yeah. You know, of course, I, of course, again, I wasn't a silent guy during that. So right. It wasn't, it wasn't safe to say that I didn't have interactions with, with people yelling at me. I did because mm-hmm. I'm not one that's just not say anything. Right. You know? Right. Uh, and in those moments, I mean, the tension, you're, you're probably not going to be having the most um, calm, collected conversations on either side in a moment like that, where that intensity and the and potential for violence exists. Yeah, it's correct. It's very hostile, very stressful, very, you know, it's, it's, and that's what last two, three years. Yeah. So it gets stressful in the whole thing, you know. Like I said, you have to have a supportive backbone. My wife, Yolanda, she thank goodness she's stayed to support me here, mm-hmm. you know, with the kids and and hold down while I have to go to work because you know I work a lot of overtime because a short staff. So you need mm-hmm. to have that that support yeah. system. You yeah. Know, I can see how tough it is for officers are just in that in that situation. They're dealing with that. You know, it's it's stressful for you. you have to deal with it both sides. Yeah. Yeah, and I would think as a as an officer who's also a man of color, um, those moments. Uh, I don't know if if feeling divided against yourself is accurate. It doesn't sound like you struggle too much with that, but probably just I can sense the frustration on some level in in your voice, and I can see it in your face as we look at each other here on on camera of yes. of having to continually hit on something that the way you're describing it sounds pretty obvious to be true. You don't jump, you don't jump to conclusions about one side or the other. You don't just make blanket statements about one side or the other. 
everything is very specific and you can do so without denying that there are problems and issues to be addressed um, in both how policing is done and how the public views and responds to the police. It's got to be frustrating. It sounds like it to you, it should be an obvious truth for people. All right. I totally agree. It should be an obvious truth, but unfortunately for so many years it has not. Yeah. Yeah. So that gets frustrating. You know, it's just, we've been here before. Right. You know, yeah. Speaking of the Buffalo shooting, you know, here we are with the, with the Buffalo shooting and that's big news. I mean, it's a week later. I, don't, I rarely hear about Buffalo shooting now. Right. Right. We just moved on to the next thing. We moved on to the right next thing. That just seems like we're, you know, 10 people lost their lives because of their color. Yeah. Yeah. What do we need to do to stop that? There's warning signs. There's warning signs on, on this social media. You know, mm-hmm. we have to find a way to, to, uh, stop these things because there's warning signs on a lot of these things. Yeah. And you know, and the frustrating thing for me, and I, I know that, that you and I both share the, the realization that it's, it's, it's hard to make these conversations stick and necessarily produce the, the changes that have to happen. First of all, internally in us as human beings, right. To, to, to shift our mindset, to shift our attitudes, to shift our perspectives. Uh, that's a really hard thing to do. And yet the imperative to do so and to have them be constructive happen is is there all the time and it's unfortunate that we get these reminders of here we go again far too regularly to be reminded of that um have there been times really quick before we jump to the break have there been times where you've just wanted to throw up your hands and give up on all that oh yeah, for, i have i yeah. have it gets so frustrated you're just like you got you, you just don't get it so it gets kind of tough just to keep going trying to be like you know how is this so hard for you to see when everybody else sees it you know <laughs> One way or the other, right? One way or the other. One way, One way or the other. How is it not possible that you can't see it? So it right. gets frustrating. We have to keep educating and telling people what they should automatically see, whether it's wrong or what's right. Well, yeah, and I, I can sense it too. So I, I really appreciate you being so open uh, and clear and honest about that, Mark. Let's go ahead and take our second break. And uh, when we come back, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about this and then give you a chance to talk a little bit more about your nonprofit Uh, as we finish up the show. So we'll be right back on this show is all about you with Mark Frazier. Stick around. Kids never have trouble dreaming about their future. The challenge is providing them the resources and opportunities to reach them. This is especially true from historically underserved communities. Fortunately, there's an organization that can help those dreams become reality. Airway Science for Kids helps underserved youth develop life and career pathways through exploration of aviation and aerospace. Using in-person and virtual programs, along with partnerships with companies, educational institutions, community health providers, and other resources, Airway Science for Kids helps students not only find their dream careers, but also learn how to better advocate for themselves and connect more effectively with their families, peers, and communities. To find out more, visit airsci.org. That's A-I-R-S-C-I dot org or email info at airsci.org. Airway Science for Kids, providing aerospace for all. Don't ask me to talk. Don't Ask Me to Talk is a program about sharing something good. Hosted by me, Stacey Heller, with my co-host and my mom's favorite, Eric Ryder, Don't Ask Me to Talk echoes what we're talking about when we aren't being so serious. We'll highlight what's good to watch, read, see, listen to, and more with a reoccurring spot with Vance Dingfelder of Dingfelder's Delicatessen called What Are We Eating? Tune in Thursdays from 3 to 4 on AM 880 KIXI. I'm Julia Cannell, Executive Director of Airway Science for Kids. We sponsor this show is all about you because it exemplifies our core values, connectivity, communication, emotional intelligence, positivity, respect, and the power of possibility. Help us introduce historically excluded youth to all of these through the wonder and promise of aviation and aerospace careers. Airway Science for Kids, providing aerospace to all. Visit airsci.org to learn more and to contribute your talents. Welcome back, everybody, to this show is all about you having a, a great, uh, insightful, and I can I can tell for both of us, somewhat frustrating conversation uh, with Mark Frazier, not frustrated with each other, but just frustrated at the at the uh, at the difficulties and yet the imperative in having uh, conversations and connection and healing around the, the challenges uh, around race and profiling and uh, police jurisdiction. 
and how police are seen and treated by the larger community. So uh, we've covered a lot of ground uh, so far, Mark. And, um, you know, so there's a few other things that that come up from this in our in our final segment. Um, from your story and your experience, uh, how would you, you know, if you wanted listeners who are listening to this um, who may feel, you know, very similarly and are sit- sitting there with us going, yep, I agree 100 percent. And others who might be feeling some disquiet on either side of this and maybe going, what about that? What about this? What about that? What about this? What would you want them to take away from this? If you could make one statement to them, what would you want them to take away and really consider and maybe internalize in their thinking and their approach to the to this really, really important issue? I would just tell them to have that uncomfortable conversation without choosing a side. And that that makes it simple to me. You just you have an uncomfortable conversation on how you feel about this, and then you educate each other on the meaning of that, and not just take a side. I'm pro this, I'm pro that, without actually trying to come to a conclusion on how to make it better or what was wrong or right in that instance. So I'd say have an uncomfortable conversation, but don't choose sides. Mm-hmm. Have a conversation and actually try to work something out. Okay. Yeah. Getting, getting comfortable with the idea of being uncomfortable, uh, seems to be the key, <laughs> you know, yes. with these things, yeah. you know, and, and it does, it does take, you know, some, some discomfort and it doesn't necessarily mean that discomfort is a, is a bad thing, you know, just to, to share a little bit, you know, when we were doing our pre-show call, you know, I admitted to you, I sometimes don't know how to talk about these things. I don't know how to bring them up, particularly to a person of color. Uh, you know, I, I, I get afraid of offending or I get afraid of of saying something that will cause more more problems. Or I ask myself if I have sometimes the right to have, you know, to make a comment on something like this. And and yet with that discomfort, you and I are still able to talk about this just yes. fine. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Yeah, because we have our views on something one way or the other. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's those people where there's their mindset that this is the right way, no matter what that those guys don't want to have an uncomfortable conversation because they might see something differently. And you have to do that for things to change. Right. Right. And it's, and it's, uh, it's kind of the long game, isn't it? It is. Yeah. As it frustrating is. as it is to, to say, here we go again, you know, and it, and I can understand when, you know, people lose somebody in a shooting like we saw in Buffalo. Um, it's impossible to tell them, Hey, it's, a, it's the long game. Right. <laughs> That's just right. Right. You know, cause then, cause then can't tell somebody how they feel around, like say police officers, that's not your, if you're not in those shoes, you can't say, well, you shouldn't feel like that because mm-hmm. you don't know how they feel that you don't, you haven't been through those experiences to say that kind of comment. Right. 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 Yeah. And so it's, it's, you know, it's, it's amazing how many things in life uh, seem to me to come back to recognizing the human experience that each of us has as unique and then looking for the commonalities in not just necessarily in, in experience, cause maybe they don't have their, but commonalities in where you think growth and progress and healing should come from and where it should go. It seems to me that there's more ability to find common ground there than simply saying, okay, we should all find the same experience. It just doesn't work that way. Does it? It does not. No. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I said. You got to come to a common, common basis on that. I mean, you got to understand, like, I'm not complaining. You pulled me over because of my color because I was speeding. You pulled me over because I was speeding. All right. <laughs> right. All right. I know that. Right. Right. You know, if I bought, I get a ticket. I'm trying to get out of the ticket, but it wasn't because, you know, you got to understand that concept. But then if I'm going under the speed limit, I get pulled over. Okay. For no reason. You got to understand that. You can't dismiss that. It happens. Right. So, right. As well as, you know, kind of circling back to one of the things we mentioned earlier, recognizing that there are groups of people that uh, historically have experiences uh, with different groups like law enforcement where they are nervous around them. Period. Yes. Period. You know, and think a little bit differently about something as basic as when they're going out, you know, to the store or going, you know, it's again, it's it's something that we all can't necessarily appreciate. But I, I always find myself wishing and hoping that we could at least find appreciation for appreciating that difference of experience that somebody else is having. You know, I agree. Whether or not we think they should, quote unquote, or not seems to be irrelevant on some. Level. I agree. Yeah. yeah, that's totally true. Okay. All right. So, you know, in, in all of this too, um, you know, I, we've, we've talked about, uh, you know, the, the aftermath of the George Floyd, uh, you know, murder and the, the protests and all that. 
Uh, when his trial was going on, what what was that like for you? Uh, did you have a lot of people asking you questions or did people tend to avoid that with you because you're both black and a cop? How was that during the trial? I mean, it was they, they avoided having that conversation with me. And, you know, there is a lot of divide mm-hmm. on people's thought process during that trial. I right. mean, something that's obvious to me and uh, I mean, not just me. But other officers, they, you know, agree with me, a big percentage. But there was a divide with uh, with some other officers who, who thought things were right, which is, mm-hmm. you know, where you have a problem at. Right. You know, they're, you know, trying to justify something like that is, you know, it's just, you see common sense that you would be able to just be like, okay. Mm-hmm. But there's those, it was still the divide. You know, there's a divide all the way through the trial to the, to the, you know, to the, um, verdict Mm -hmm. that you know there was relief for a lot of people and then some they were they they were hoping he would get off Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's that's reality that's 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 what i experienced and did that 100 percent people said okay 100 percent, this should be a guilty no doubt about it i'd like to say that's the truth but that's not that's not the truth it was a divide how big a divide i couldn't really say but i know there was quite a divide yeah, and that that doesn't surprise me. And and also though, I wondered, did that have a direct effect on on cohesion? Was it did that make it difficult for officers to continue to do their job, or was there just a switch that gets flipped when they go out, they do their job, you work together? How was that for you? Did it did it did it flow over into operations for you? No, I think that is as far as operation, everybody does their job. They they do their job. It's you know they may be divided on the on their opinions and process but when it comes down to actually doing your job whether you have that guy you know is divided from you mm-hmm. if something goes down you have you you act okay it's not like i'm not gonna act because i think he's divided we have to you know still have each other's back you know unless it's you feel that is not a right place to have somebody's back you right you still have that you know, you know what i'm saying you still sure. you know you have to do your job right so Right. When people are doing their job correctly, right, supporting that and being and 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 doing the job of backing up your fellow officers. Yes, for right. sure. Right. And if they're doing it correctly, that's what there's no doubt that you're you're backing them up. And that's I'm sure in any job, you know, you they may have a different opinion, but you try to do your job mm-hmm. and work together, even if you think you have total different opinions of somebody else. Gotcha. All right, one last question before we give you a few minutes to talk about your nonprofit. Uh What's the right now, two days into retirement, three days into retirement, uh, what uh, what do you think is the, the the biggest thing maybe you learned in your 24 years on the force? Oh, man, that's a good question. Um, I mean, to be honest with you, like first, I didn't ever think I was going to be a sheriff. Yeah. <laughs> OK, uh, but you do find uh, the respect for law enforcement on how hard a job it is. Mm hmm on how hard, hard a job it is. And then also you feel like if you do talk with people uh, and communicate with them, educated wise, with people who don't know that a lot of them do come around and see your point on there. So that that's what I said, I learned. Mm. And uh, just experience with, uh, you know, you experience all kinds of different people. So, I mean, I'd say that uh, I learned more how to deal with, you know, mental health people. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, you understand out there is a lot of people with mental health issues and uh, you have to deal with them a different way. Right. Right. So a little more understanding. So that's some of the things I've learned, I say, in the 24 years. Yeah. And, one, and, and once again, coming back around, sometimes communication, openness, and connecting as humans goes a long way, regardless of what we're talking yeah. about. Okay. All right. We've got about five minutes left. So just uh, really quickly, uh, Mark, tell us a little bit about uh, what we can, how people can find out more about uh, Chrome Elite and, uh, and what they do and how they might be able to support you. And I'll make the link. Uh, any links you send me available on my website later on. What can you What can you tell everybody about how they can support you? Okay, now we're at um, I want to say Chrome, Chrome Elite at Chrome AAU. That's on Twitter is our main handle. Okay, and you can you can go there and check us out. We have a lot of uh, like I said, it's nonprofit. Mm-hmm. So we have like if we look at AU programs and travel programs are really expensive. So we're probably one fourth less expensive than everybody else because we're trying to have kids learn how to get better but can afford to do that and play on a high level travel team. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, my wife's vision, when she does that, she does a lot of stuff with Chrome Elite and uh, she, she um, does stuff. Like I said, she does like computer classes. We do uh, training, we do, um, you know, skill training, you know, so, and even 
mentally, how to mentally prepare to get to a different level according to what age group you are. Like right now I'm on a high school level coaching. Okay. So I try to teach those kids is more than, of course, schools first. And then, you know, basketball training and how hard you work, because even if your basketball is, if you work hard, you kind of get that there, you know, working hard and that takes you into the next right. level, whether it's basketball or job or school or whatever. Gotcha. And so that's, it's, that's what it's really about, you know, helping people who aren't as, you know, well off or mm-hmm. they have a little, you know what I'm saying, to get, yeah. have a chance that getting into something bigger and more skilled kind of a program. Sure, because AAU on its own is that's an expensive thing to do for for many years, that's, right? For a lot of people, that's correct. Right? Yes. Okay, so you're looking to bridge that gap for kids who don't necessarily have those same resources. Yes. Fabulous. Yes. Okay. Well, I I will make that information available at wordsbyjdk.com uh, so that people can go there and uh, follow Chrome Elite, see what they're see what they're up to. Okay. In the short amount of time, I'm going to ask you one question, one okay. question on the way out before I say goodbye to everybody. Uh, are you divided against yourself around? the Seahawks sending their quarterback to your other team, the Denver Broncos, or are you okay with that? Okay. I'm really glad that Seahawks have decided to make a quarterback change to Denver Broncos. <laughs> we are very thankful to Seattle. In fact, I'll probably watch Seattle this year to thank them every time I see them for giving us one of the best quarterbacks in the league. <laughs> uh, I, in fact, by seeing I wasn't very excited about this year for the Broncos. And I mean, I've done it a hundred percent. Turn around because I can't even <laughs> wait for the football season to start now. That's uh, yeah, well, you know, I can't say I'm all that excited about the gift uh, <laughs> either. But nevertheless, uh, I, and I can't say I'm excited for you either on that one. But <laughs> but nevertheless, uh, if you if you're up in Seattle at any point, uh, let's go to a game and catch that. Mark, thank you so much uh, for for visiting on, uh, with us today and, and for your candor and your openness. Really appreciate it. You're welcome, J.D. All right. Thanks so much. And thanks to all of you for listening to this episode of This Show is All About You. Be sure to follow up with me at wordsbyjdk.com later this week. Uh, You can listen to this episode again and uh, read some follow-ups as well as get links to Chrome Elite. Uh, You can also contact me there for any questions. You can pick up this show as a a podcast at Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I want to give some thank yous, of course. This Show is All About You is produced and distributed by Hubbard Radio Seattle. Eric Ryder is my in-studio producer, editor, and mix master. The show is made possible by the generous sponsorship of Airway Science for Kids. Check them out at airside.org. The original theme music for the show is by Dave Nelson of Lens Group Media. And special thanks for this episode and all that went well for me this week has to go out to Mark and Yolanda Frazier, Julia Cannell, Tawny and Dave Santabria, Bruce Flommer, Stacey Heller, Melissa Reeves, Bruce Bullard, Robert McClung, Sebastian Rome, the good folks at the Human Potential Institute, Phil McCoy's quarantining skills, Rice Checks for being awesome, all the positive reviewers of the new Top Gun movie, That toddler who ordered 30 McDonald's cheeseburgers on DoorDash and he went viral for it instead of getting in trouble. Everyone providing incredible relief to Ukrainian refugees and the stitches in my gums for finally dissolving and leaving me in peace. Thanks for joining me, everybody. And to send you off into the rest of your week, I'll end with this original haiku. Working together for justice is a common goal we can all reach. Until next time, chins up, everyone.